We're reading from 2 Timothy 20 to 26. That's on page 996 of the Bibles at your seats. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that, the breed, that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Thanks, Adam. Uh, if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together. But as we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time to gather around your word. And uh, we pray that as we do that, that your spirit would be at work in our midst, that you would uh, draw us to see you today, to desire to honor you uh, with the way that we live, uh, the way that we interact with one another. And we pray that you be glorified in this church as we seek to honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you'll have to bear with me a little bit. I'm a little bit hoarse today, so I may have some involuntary squeaks uh, along the way. So I'm just making that disclaimer as we kick off and as we look at this passage. And I'll be drinking a lot of water today as well. So, um, uh, Something that I've noticed recently when it comes to TV viewing is that there are no shortage of fly-on-the-wall sports documentaries going around right now. Amazon, Netflix, even Disney Plus all have them. I find it fascinating to gain an insight into what goes on behind the scenes in some of these teams. One of the things that is striking is the incredible drive and will to win that exists at the top level. In one documentary, the star player showed a ruthless devotion to winning, so much so that he would make life extremely hard for teammates who didn't manage to reach his high standards. His sporting success was without question. He is a legend of his sport, but his drive to succeed at all costs made him deeply unpopular with some of his teammates. And years after they've all retired, they are still not on speaking terms. In the world of sport, there is a debate about how important personal character is when it comes to success. But what about in the church? How important is personal character when it comes to those who lead? Last time we were in 2 Timothy, a couple of weeks ago, we saw Paul exhort Timothy to devote himself to the hard work of rightly handling the word of truth. We saw how faithful preaching is to be absolutely central 
to the life of the church. That what you should expect of your ministers is that they do their best to preach the Word faithfully and clearly. But Paul doesn't end his exhortation with a focus on Timothy's gifting to preach. In the passage that we're looking at today, we see just how important character is when it comes to those who lead. If you look with me at verse 20, Paul writes, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Now, when you think of a, a stately home and the kind of vessels that you might see there, on the one hand, you've got the, the honorable vessels, the, the fine china and the crystal glasses that come out whenever there are guests. And then on the other hand, you have the dishonorable vessels, the, the broomsticks and the bedpans, the kind of things that are tidied out of sight before anybody comes to visit. And in the context of this passage, and, and in light of what we were looking at last time about faithful teaching, Paul seems to be using that illustration of honorable and dishonorable vessels to refer to two types of teaching. True teaching, where the word is rightly handled, and false teaching, which needs to be cleansed from the church. And Paul says to Timothy, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So he, Paul seems to be saying to Timothy that, that, that he needed to cleanse himself of anything that was dishonorable in his teaching. If he was tempted to be drawn in by any of the errors that were floating around Ephesus, errors that we've seen in this letter, he needed to cleanse himself from them in order to be useful to God. And those errors, they weren't just related to teaching. It's clear from this passage that, that Timothy needed to cleanse his character as well. That it's not enough to be a gifted Bible teacher. That you need to practice what you preach. Leaders in the church need to have integrity. God's ministers need to be men of character as well as competence. If they're going to be ready for every good work. And the fact that Paul needed to exhort someone like Timothy on this, someone who was seasoned, someone who was experienced, someone who had served closely with Paul to tremendous effect, that tells us that this is an exhortation every church leader needs to hear, regardless of how long they've been in ministry. And not just church leaders. These are primarily words to a church leader. And as I've studied them, I've certainly found them very challenging, very convicting, and very helpful. But what Paul says here applies, verse 22, to those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. They're words that apply to every believer. Because what we have in these verses is an exhortation to be more like Jesus. And that's what Christian maturity is, isn't it? It's growing and growing to be more like Jesus. So what does Paul have to say about the kind of character that we should see in our leaders and seek to cultivate in ourselves? What does it look like to be useful to the master? Well, if you look with me at verse 22, 
Paul writes, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Cultivating godly character involves a dynamic of fleeing and pursuing. Paul urges Timothy to flee youthful passions. And in the context of this letter, he's not talking about sensual passions. He's talking about the kind of passions that are often seen when there's a lack of maturity in someone's character, where someone is too easily governed by certain emotions and behavior. And to get a handle of the, on the kind of things that, that Paul wants Timothy to flee, we need to look at what he encourages Timothy to pursue. He says that Timothy is to pursue righteousness. He's not to be someone who dishonors God in his ethical conduct. He's to be a leader who seeks to live a holy life, a life that glorifies God by the way that he lives. His life is to be an example to others in the way that he is obedient to the Word of God that he has been called to teach. You should be able to look at your church leaders and say that they are looking to practice what they preach. That as they mature, as they meditate on God's Word, and God exposes areas of their lives that, that need to be addressed, the sins of their youth are increasingly left behind as they pursue righteousness. So Timothy is to pursue righteousness. And then Paul calls him to pursue faith. He's to be someone who is characterized by a life of faithfulness where it's clear to those he ministers to that he trusts in God. He's not trying to do everything in his own strength. His eyes are set on God and pleasing Him. He's not consumed by the fear of others, uh, which can be such a temptation, whatever our age. A sign of maturity in a church leader is that he leads and teaches in a way that is faithful, not in a way that is fearful. His decisions are characterized primarily by what is pleasing to God not what is pleasing to others. <clears throat> and then Paul calls Timothy to pursue love, to love those that God has placed under his care, even when they might be hard to love. Timothy was to love them even if they didn't love him back, even if they were downright hostile to him. Still, he was called to pursue love, Church leaders are called to pursue love, to be proactive in loving those that God has called them to minister to. A youthful passion in ministry can be that desire to be seen as a success, to be looked upon favorably by others. And so the temptation for a young church leader is to make decisions that make him look good. But we're to flee the temptation to self-centeredness and make decisions not out of self-interest, but in a way that is for the good of those that we've been called to serve, even if that comes at personal cost. So Timothy's to pursue love, and then Paul calls him to pursue, pursue peace. Now, we know already from this letter that Timothy was suffering. 
He was facing hostility from outside the church, but he was also facing hostility from inside the church. He was having to deal with false teachers. And the youthful passion when faced with opposition like that is to fight fire with fire, to respond to hostility with hostility, or to go down the passive-aggressive route to engage in silent treatment or to nurse bitterness or to muster an army of allies to, to our cause and prepare for an attack. But that kind of attitude and behavior can do incredible damage to the church. And that's why the mature church leader, the mature believer, will be characterized as one who pursues peace, who doesn't leave things to fester, but goes towards the pain, who doesn't bear a grudge and gossip behind someone's back, but seeks to resolve conflict wherever possible. And Paul goes on to give Timothy an example of what that, that fleeing, pursuing dynamic might look like in practice. If you look with me at verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So, so last time we saw Paul warning about the danger of quarreling about words. And here again, we, we see that warning against getting caught up in foolish, ignorant controversies, the kind of things that distract from sharing the gospel. It's such a sad fact that churches can so often fail to heed this warning. They get so focused on internal controversy that they lose sight of the mission that they've been called to, the mission to go out into all the world and share the good news of Jesus with those who haven't heard it yet. And Paul's warning for Timothy as a church leader is to, to not get caught up in quarrels, to have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, but to give a completely different example in the way that he responds to those who might be spoiling for a fight with him. If you look with me at verse 24, Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So Paul lays out what it looks like for Timothy to flee and pursue. When faced with quarrels, Timothy must not be quarrelsome, but instead, be kind to everyone, no exceptions, even the false teachers who were undermining God's word and leading people astray, the, the, the people who were ashamed of Paul, who were, who were using Paul's imprisonment as a way of discrediting the gospel message. Timothy was still to be kind in response to them. Imagine how hard it must have been for Timothy to hear people discredit Paul, his mentor, his father in the faith, who was suffering terribly in prison. And here were these guys rubbing salt in the wounds. Not only that, they were using Paul's suffering to demean the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were dishonoring God. And yet Timothy 
was expected to respond with kindness. He was to patiently endure evil. Now, notice that. Paul, Paul calls that opposition for what it is. It was evil. He doesn't deny the evil of it. He doesn't deny how wrong it was. But he still calls Timothy to respond with kindness and to patiently endure it. And then, and only then, was he to correct his opponents. But not harshly, not in a way so as to rip them apart and show the foolishness of their argument. No, with gentleness. Timothy was the Lord's servant. He'd been given the responsibility to lead in Christ's church, and his character was under scrutiny just as much as his teaching. And when his character was put under such intense pressure, that's when expressing kindness was at its most challenging. But it was also the moment when it was most needed. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly challenging. When you think that somebody's in the wrong, when you think that what they're saying is damaging, when you think that they're not being kind or patient or gentle, when you think that their guns are loaded and pointed right at you, when you face hostility, then the temptation to fire back in that situation is huge. And yet still the call remains to respond with grace. To meet evil with kindness and patience and gentleness. How are we possibly meant to do that? Well, I want to highlight two things that I think are really important when it comes to how we live this out. The motivation and the means. First of all, we need to keep in mind Paul's motivation to Timothy in verse 25. He says there, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When faced with opposition from those in the church, Paul encouraged Timothy to respond with grace in the hope that his gracious response would lead his opponents to repentance. This is a, a really helpful reminder that, that nobody, not even false teachers, are beyond the reach of God's grace. When we are tempted to fight fire with fire, we need to look past the issue and see the person. We need to see that they are someone who is made in the image of God. Someone who needs to be pointed to Jesus. Someone to whom God may grant repentance. And if a gentle and kind response from us is used by God to draw someone to Jesus, to bring them to repentance, and free them from the clutches of the devil then surely that's all the motivation we should need. 
But of course, motivation alone, even such a wonderful motive as seeing people being drawn to Christ, it's not enough. We also need to recognize the means by which this kind of character is developed. Notice Timothy was exhorted to flee and pursue. We've seen that, that already he was a key leader in the church, but he hadn't arrived. He still had to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. He still had to grow and mature. And that's true of every leader in Christ's church. There is not a, a single leader in the church today who has already arrived, who isn't sinful, who doesn't struggle to live this out. There is not a single leader in the church today who is always patient, who is always kind, who is always gentle. How do I know that? Well, because I know that every church leader is sinful. The reality for all of us is that this side of eternity, we still face the daily battle with sin in our lives. And as Christians, and as Christian leaders, we just cannot live this out in our own strength. Sometimes we struggle to flee youthful passions. Sometimes we lack patience and kindness and gentleness. So how do we respond to such a high calling? How can I, as a leader here, how can our elders pursue the kind of character that Paul calls for here? Well, we do it by recognizing that there has only ever been one leader who has lived this out perfectly. Only one who was completely without sin. Only one who lived a life of perfect kindness. Only one who was able to patiently endure the worst kind of evil. Only one who could respond in perfect gentleness to those who opposed him. And that's exactly what he did when he went to his death on the cross. Amidst howls of derision, he prayed, Father, forgive them. And it's because he did that that we can flee youthful passions and pursue Christ-like leadership strengthened by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that, that when we do mess up, He is gentle and kind to His children. And His grace is sufficient for us. We have not arrived. This side of eternity, we won't get it right every time. But by God's grace, in the power of His Spirit, you should see in your leaders lives that are characterized by a pursuit of godliness, kindness, patience, and gentleness that points you to Jesus. And my prayer is that that would be increasingly true in the lives of our leaders and in all our lives across our church. 
that those who come in contact with Grace Church Leith would encounter a people who are kind, who are patient, who are gentle, who are increasingly shaped by the grace of our Lord Jesus. And that as they encounter us, God would perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy, for your grace that you have poured out on us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, the only one who is perfectly patient, perfectly kind, perfectly gentle, and who still chose to go to the cross and bear the penalty for all the times where we are not those things. We thank you that in him there is forgiveness. We thank you that in him there is life. And so we pray, Lord God, that we would be a people, a community that are patient and kind and gentle with one another, that we would love each other well, and that as we do that, that the world would see something in us that is so countercultural, so different, and yet so attractive that it longs, that they long to know the one at the heart of all of it our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so as we come to this table today to take bread and wine and remember him, we pray that you would remind us again of your grace and your patience with us. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.